Welcome back to another episode of the Optional Boss Podcast. I am your co-host, Josh, with my other co-host, Tyler. Both of us are co-hosts. That's weird. We are... Well, how, how do you usually represent it? Because I don't want to say host, because it's both our show. Vice host. Vice host? Well, I went with two co-hosts. Yeah. So, today we are talking about games we want to play for the first time again. And pretty much what we're going to be bringing up, we, we're we not too sure on how we were going to structure this episode, so there's going to be a bit of banter uh, back and forth, but we essentially want to talk about the games that we have played, we really enjoyed, and wish we could go back to and play for the first time again. How can you put structure on an experience? You can't, and this is why we're going by the... F- Flyover sheet seats. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. How do you turn a phrase? Flyover sheets. I like it. Um, <laughs> yeah, basically, I mean, you know, there are just some games that are great, but never as great as they were the first time you try it. Um, and I think it's pretty safe to just address the elephant in the room. Zelda. (laughs) (laughs) You talking Breath of the Wild? I am very much talking Breath of the Wild. It is uh, probably one of the more modern examples of something that, uh, you know, as good as it is, it will never be as good as it was. Yeah, that's that's something I've actually found myself is once I beat it once, I had a hard time trying to go back into it, regardless of how much time has passed. Maybe I could go into it today now that it's been... Because I haven't played Breath of the Wild since uh, I got my Switch, which was, I think, half a year after launch, something like that. It's a good while. And it's 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 been a few years now, because we're, we're getting into late age, old age Switch. And Breath of the Wild was, it, it was absolutely magnificent upon a first playthrough but anytime i've gone back to it is it just kind of fell flat i mean i can see I that um i know for myself that uh a lot of its appeal came from those first initial wow i can do this or i didn't know about that uh i want to say like the scenario that just absolutely jaw-dropping the first time I ever played Breath of the Wild was just out and about doing some exploring, as you do, and all of a sudden there was just this musical change and the sky went dark and I looked up and there's a dragon in the sky and I didn't even know there was going to be dragons in this game and I literally just stopped and paused and took in that one particular moment as where... If I right before up, you died. <laughs> I'm sure I died shortly after that, yeah. And then just anything beyond that was just, uh... Yeah, I'd seen it. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know how many Korok seeds you went and hunted down, how many shrines you did. But, uh... The shrines I found very repetitive. And I'm, I'm not here, because I, I really did enjoy Breath of the Wild. But uh, to do them all again, I mean, a couple of them tiring. have very fun puzzles. That like, there's enough of them that you would def- you would certainly forget about them. But at the same time, you wouldn't completely forget about them. It would be like, oh, that's right, there's this one, and then it would all come and click together. And then outside of that, though, 
I like them. I can eventually grow to not like them. The rest are just going to be the combat trials. Um, yeah. So, I, I think it would have helped if they had a bit different aesthetics to them. That would have been nice. You do have, of course, the uh, the ones that are essentially not their standard trials, and the only trial is to activate the shrine. Um, and even then, those are going to wear out eventually. Like, you'll never have those aha moments twice. Um, and even as, I don't know if you ever tried uh, Master Mode for it, but it really didn't add more to the experience it just made things a little bit more tedious i could see that i know when i first started playing it was there was such a sense of exploration discovery and just finding things and then coming to terms with the huge environment that you can go and explore and just kind of getting lost in it like yeah you had the four divine beasts but outside of those it's like oh there's a shrine oh there's a shrine oh there's a shrine and you could go do those no problem yeah they they were neat at first but it it it, going back it's like okay i've seen this world before i'm no longer lost as if it were it's not as big as it feels no and there's no by by far you're also never going to have those, like, really cool discoveries ever again. Like, again, for example, the dragon. But um, the first time you kind of figured out that the updrafts happened from a fire. And then moving forward, your only thought is just to use it as a uh, utility. And it's still cool, but it's not that, oh, if I, you know, it doesn't get the gears turning uh, the same way. Nor is it, like, your first time running into a Hinox or a Lionel, like... And especially, too, it doesn't help when you actually come to the conclusion that there's only, like, five different enemies in the game. But... Yeah. Yeah, but those things... There's, there's five versions of Ganon. There's five versions <laughs> of... Six, technically, if you count the pig. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess so. I don't want to count the pig. The pig was disappointing. <laughs> I think most people can agree that that wasn't the most uh, incredible final boss but um, that's the thing. Like, I don't dislike Breath of the Wild. I have booted it up a couple times since. And it's like, it has almost like a Grand Theft Auto feel to it in the sense that I just like hopping in and enjoying the physics and the world. But every time I go to play Grand Theft Auto and you just kind of do one of those chaos rampages, do you really do it for more than like half an hour at most? Personally, no. Uh, I... I had more fun with the heists and everything, but uh, you you need some friends for that. Yeah, and you can't you can't bring people into the world of Breath of the Wild. No. Yet. I mean, to to be fair, if I brought friends into Breath of the Wild, I'd probably just troll them with lifting them up on platforms and seeing where I can get out. Oh, it'd be so cool to just get like two Magnesis going at once and just fly around. <laughs> I mean, you, you got to admit the utility just the different things that you could do in that game and how they all mishmash together was absolutely fantastic. And that's where a lot of the excitement came from is the experimentation along with exploring this huge world, relatively huge world for a Zelda game. Anyways, I was impressed just by chopping down trees. Fair. (laughs) But once you get that, like once you've explored a bunch of it and you know that, 
you're, you're never going to walk into Death Mountain area and start catching fire without knowing that you need something to protect you from that again. You don't have those little moments of like, I don't have any of the armor, but I have a big ice sword and now I'm a little bit better. Now it's just yeah. optimizing. And that's what it comes down to. Like, I'll, I'll never get that first time experience again with Breath of the Wild because my enjoyment was in that first playthrough not knowing what I was getting into. Now, you know what's a similarly recent game that I can almost say I have very similar feelings towards? What's that? Mario Odyssey. Yeah, I, I, I could definitely see that as well. Just because it's one of those interesting cases of a game that I had a lot of fun with, and I think, oh, it controls like butter. It is so much fun to actually be Mario in that game and run around and do stuff. But aside from just getting to the end of the game, I had really no desire to do the stuff I didn't do. No, and there wasn't a whole lot of incentive to. It, well, once you start getting into the couple hundreds of moons, they don't really have the impact as the uh, stars from 64. And it's not even that I'm trying to make an argument like 64 was better because it was smaller or anything. But it just feels like when you can go pretty much get a moon, three steps, get a moon. I don't know, it just kind of cheapens the experience a bit. But having said that... That game was a lot of fun the first time I ever went through it. Oh, hell yeah. I can and be- I mean, I'm I'm glad, opposed to Mario 64, every time you collect a star, it kicks you out, where Odyssey just let you kept collecting them. Taken but true. then I, I, I think there is an argument for the amount of moons was too much, similar to Breath of the Wild, the Korok seeds, there's just too many. Well, and the fact that there was so many ways to get them... Like, I remember the one time I hopped in to Odyssey just to kind of, like, you know, mess around, maybe accomplish some of the missions, and I go to the shop, and I see that you can buy moons there, and I'm thinking, you know, there's a finite amount of moons, these are part of the moons I need for this area, and, like, you could just keep buying them into the hundreds, and at that point I'm like, I don't understand why I have to get these if I can just buy them. Now, was that meant as a fast track to get to the darker side of the moon? Oh, I'm sure it was, but at the same time, it now confuses me because these numbers that are supposed to be represented by things I do in the world have now just been filled by things that I can buy. So it's like, do I still do the ones out there? Did they magically disappear? Do they matter now? Yeah, or can I just buy them after so many coins? In which case, I'm just going to play the balloon race. Yeah, it just doesn't feel right. But at the same time, you know, it was like really cool that, oh cool, I could control a T-Rex for some reason. But that was just in one world. Of course it was in one world, and I'll only ever experience it for the first time once. But when I did, it was still really cool. It was, absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Don't 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 let me take away from that. It it absolutely was fantastic the first time you take that over and just start causing a rampage. Yeah, but now it's gonna be like okay, so I guess I take over the dinosaur and do the thing. Um, but even if you go back to collect other moons in, in that world, even after that first time of of taking over the T Rex, you're it's 
lost how special it can be. It just kind of feels like busy work at that point. Yeah. And I think that kind of is a bit of a true testament, maybe maybe not for everyone, but a bit of a true testament that too much of a good thing is a bit of a detriment because it makes it no longer feel special. Like when you're collecting stars in Mario 64, you're actively working toward that goal. And yeah, sure, Odyssey, you are too. But in 64, it's more concentrated. You're, you're off to set for that specific one and they mean something not only that too um i don't I know. mean odyssey had to fill up the odyssey with stars or moons to get to the next world but then after so many you can do that while there's still x amount left in this world oh yeah like and a it, huge x amount it feels kind of daunting when you're like you need let's say 18 to progress and it's like cool but there's still 30 left here yeah it's like, it's like why why would i bother yeah with the 30 maybe i'll go get like a couple extra and it'll just kind of kickstart me for finishing the next world but by no means do i want to do all of these things and even by that time you want to go to the next world to see something new yeah so and then that, that comes down to seeing it for the first time again I'll give it this, though. The Bowser boss fights were pretty good. That it was. And... Uh, is it really a spoiler after it's been so long? I mean, people are listening to us. They're going to know we're going to spoil stuff. This is fair. <laughs> so, of of weird little situation, but if you haven't played Mario Odyssey and plan on it, small spoiler for the end. Five, four, three, two, one. There's your countdown. Taking over bowser at the end that was pretty epic was fantastic um now i will say that's the second time i've been able to do that in a mario game and it wasn't as cool as the first time but that was an rpg so it was a completely different scenario fair yeah but having said that bowser's inside story pretty solid game probably the best of the quintology I don't know what the word... There's like five of them. Um, <laughs> but uh, moving on from that, so what's, uh, what's something you would personally have a preference towards not knowing you've ever played? So... One that I haven't played or personally wouldn't want or wish I could play for the first time. Do it again, yeah. Um... So I know we have a couple on our list. We that's that's one thing I'll I'll say right now is we have not shared our list together. So some of them are going to be the same. So I'm going to pick something that I know Tyler wouldn't actually have, and uh, that's going to be Sekiro. And the reason is is because Sekiro I it's it's probably one of my favorite FromSoft games, and I think I've pretty much played all the since. Dark Souls 1, anyways, I've played them all, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't and think, yeah. Secure is probably, I'd say, securely my favorite. Um, just, it's it's very snappy and whatnot. But my first playthrough, well, it was good. It took me ages because I couldn't get over the difficulty. And the issue is, is if I started it for the first time again... I'd probably still be under that struggle, 
but it meant so more so much more actually overcoming the bosses and the challenge in it and i think that can be almost said for most of souls games so if i'm not mistaken the first time you tried sekiro and you were kind of hitting those walls you weren't as experienced with the souls games i want to say you'd played a few but not nearly as many yeah, so I played a little bit of Dark Souls 1, didn't get very far. I technically beat 3, but I was summoning help. Uh, I did complete Bloodborne by myself. Not the not the true ending, though. So, did you go into Sekiro with the mindset that it was just another FromSoft game? Or did you go into it just thinking it was going to be a difficult game? So I knew it was going to be a difficult game because the at, at the time a lot of people were saying that this is the hardest FromSoft game. And I don't know if I would actually hold that as true or not. Um, I think there's a lot of people going into Sekiro thinking it's going to play like a Souls game and it doesn't. It is, it's its own beast, if you will. But uh, like knowing what I know now, I wish I could re-experience those like when when I say I want to play it for the first time, I want no Souls experience because that was part of my issue is going into it like a Souls game or Bloodborne even. Well, that's actually kind of what I was wondering is uh, if that potentially not so much soured your expectations, but just threw you off for the experience that you were intended to get. So one, I'd say it threw me off because one of the things in Sekiro is you don't dodge like in Souls games, you have the iframes to get through massive attacks and stuff. Where Sekiro, you try and do that, you have no iframes. Or a stamina bar. It's so very... It's, it's, you, you defend yourself through combat. Yes, which I was expecting not so much that. You're doing your dodges and your rolls and whatnot. So... I wouldn't say that it's an experience that I would want for the first time again, but I think I kind of know where you're coming from where uh, it's not something that landed as hard the first time as it did on a later playthrough when you could appreciate it. Because my first, at least on my own attempt of the From, or yeah, of anything from Soft was Bloodborne. And I was like, this is kind of neat, but I'm just not really feeling it right now. And it was more so, it had nothing to do with like, yeah, it was difficult and I was definitely hitting walls, but it's because I didn't understand how to really play it because I was thinking this was just another kind of, I know it had its reputation, but just my experience, mostly when it comes to just things that live on the PlayStation is this is another kind of just action 3D hack and slasher romp. Um, It's nothing like that. (laughs) No, it is definitely its own beast. And it's not even so much like, you know, it's a difficult hack and slash game. Like, hack and slash is one of those terms that really needs to be removed from it, even though that is something you are doing a lot of. Um, Because when people hear hack and slash, they think of Devil May Cry or various games of that nature. Well, and something that's very button mashy, and you kind of just, you know, just hit a controller and win... As where what I eventually learned about Bloodborne by actually playing Dark Souls 1 was you gotta kind of figure it. It's almost like learning a fighting game. 
Kind of, yeah. It it's it's almost like a puzzle in a sense, but it's it's trial by combat. Exactly. So when I finally went back to Bloodborne after loving Dark Souls, um, I ended up because I got it, so I enjoyed playing it more. But I still think Dark Souls is personally more enjoyable. Yes, I I would actually fall on that fence, and that might be a bit of a hot take for both of us. But it uh, I I just like the world of Dark Souls one a lot more than Bloodborne. I like the aesthetics of Bloodborne more. I like the aesthetic of Bloodborne a lot, um, but I feel more at home in the world of Dark Souls, which is a weird way to put it. Um, but I, I know what you mean. Like, everything's just so interconnected and so well-designed. It's Where Bloodborne, it's just kind of, it's there. Like, I can definitely remember Bloodborne's layout pretty well, but it feels a little bit more disjointed than Dark Souls 1's, like... If there's something that I would love to just have or see one day would be just a perfectly 3D rendered, like 3D printing of the Dark Souls map. That would be pretty cool. Right? And not that you couldn't do it with Bloodborne, but it would probably be a much wider and branching paths as opposed to... It, it would be like putting together a puzzle piece instead of having one solid piece. Well, I feel like the world of Dark Souls 1 is just kind of like a big cylinder. Kind of, yeah. Um, but I can definitely see something with Sekiro. You would much rather going into it thinking like this is its own thing as it was. Yeah, just if if I had no previous FromSoft games, uh, Bloodborne or Dark Souls, so I could go into it with a fresh perspective instead of thinking otherwise. Well, I and mean... I think that was a bit of a detriment to my actual first playthrough. Now, luckily, with that said. Because I almost gave up on it uh, a few times. Like, there was months between uh, play sessions with it where I'm just like, I, I can't do this right now. I can't do this right now. Where now that I know what I'm doing in it, I would almost argue that it's probably one of the easiest FromSoft games. Wasn't the first wall the monkeys? No. Uh, there was an ogre that was kicking my ass pretty good. Hmm. But uh, I got past him, and it was the first major boss oh the guy on the horse yes ah yeah I, I can't think of his name now but i think i remember you showing it to me and like being like and this is where i kind of figured out how to actually play sakura yes kind of <laughs> and then you got walled uh, I, again yes i would almost argue that the actual time that i started understanding how to play sakura because I finally got over my previous FromSoft hurdle was right near the end, if it wasn't the last boss. Last Which boss. A, a huge detriment. But the last boss didn't really play like any of the other enemies for like the first or second phase. Because it was just like, here's lightning. That was the last phase. Oh. I also yeah. haven't played it, so I can't really speak no. to my accuracy. So the final boss really tested your might and knowledge of how the game systems worked. Uh, same with the Demon of Hatred, which, yeah, he's he's a fun fight, very difficult, but uh, he plays more similar to like a he's he's almost a Bloodborne style boss, 
but the uh, the final boss of Sekiro is is does a lot of testing on your Mikiri counters as they're called, and uh, just various deflection techniques and whatnot, and when to. Like in in Souls, you always want to be up close, but you want to be able to dodge. Where Sekiro, you kind of want your distance, but always be close, because you can't dodge away. But then it's a lot more heavily reliant on what the enemy's doing uh reading wise where in dark souls or bloodborne it's the tells are pretty noticeable well and it's not so bad if the last boss is a wall because that's kind of the he's a last boss yeah yeah so Um, what what's uh your next game uh, that you'd want to play for the first time. So this is one that I wouldn't be too surprised if uh, was also in your uh, list as well. But uh, I would just say, and just out of sheer praise, it'd just be Chrono Trigger. Yep. Chrono Trigger's just, just a masterpiece. And like I know it's got multiple endings, but this is just a game that I clearly I'll always have nostalgia for it. Um, but I've definitely played it enough times that, like, it's never going to feel fresh again. And I would almost argue, like, a lot of the endings on or in Chrono Trigger are very similar, regardless oh. of the path is the same or not. Like, not too much is actually changing in the end. There's maybe... I don't know. There's a small handful of endings that actually feel like endings. And then a couple of them are just... You know, very tongue-in-cheek, like the one where you meet the developers. Um, yes. So they feel more like reasons to replay rather than actual impactful things. Now, having said that, I mean, I'll play Chrono Trigger again any day. It's just a solid RPG. But it'll never be that first time when it's just like, um, not even the going through time part, but like the first time you get the time machine is pretty great. Uh, just becoming friends with a robot and a frog. Uh, frog is fantastic. Yeah, and hearing the music for the first time would just be an incredible experience. Like, the first time you ever hear the... Uh, oh, I can't remember this. Like, the 10,000 BC, uh, just the city in the sky. And just Oh, it's just all so Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm actually a huge f- fan of the, uh, I don't know song names, of course, but when you, it's, it's, it's the frog song. I think it's just called Frog's Theme. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I know Nailed the one, it. the one I'm thinking of is called Corridors of Time. Um, oh, okay. But, uh, is it? It might be. I digress. Um, <laughs> and it has a really fun world to explore, uh. The time travel mechanics are just really cool. Um, they're not oh, really... Honey, the, there's not too many games that do time travel well, and it did it really well. I mean, for how little it actually did with it, it did enough, right? It wasn't... It didn't get so up its own ass about the whole time travel thing. It just made it fit really well. It didn't try to oh, get too complicated. There wasn't no, like, you know, you're your own grandpa. Um so yeah nothing like that the the most you could do was uh was a beef jerky you give a woman beef jerky and then you can do something in the in the future because it she taught her children 
that uh, giving is gracious. Oh, yeah, that's right. You can go to the past and uh, you can either sell the man the beef jerky or just give it to him. And initially, in the present day, you go to the mayor of the town to the south and he's just like, I'm so rich, dance like a chicken and I'll give you $10. Um, And then if you do that thing where you give the jerky to uh, his ancestor in the past, they're all super generous and super nice. And I want to say doing this will end up netting you like one of those black chests that have the really good items. Um, I think so, yeah. But it, it's just you didn't even have to bother, but you were able to engage with the time travel mechanics. Uh, there's the quest where, um, and it's completely optional, where you go fly to the random island and there's the dilapidated castle. So you have to keep going to the past and then getting it repaired a little bit more and more and then go to the future, deal with the ghost in the castle and just keep digging deeper and deeper. And then it ends up being like a super impactful quest for Frog. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is all just super optional stuff. And then this is where I'm going to get into the spoiler territory for just play Chrono Trigger for God's sakes. Um, yeah, if, if you haven't played Chrono Trigger yet, then what, you what honestly you don't here? know what you're missing. Uh, yeah, go go play Chrono Trigger. It's, it's it. fantastic. You could beat the game without the protagonist. Yeah. That's incredible. Um, or you can end up recruiting and just beating the game with the main antagonist or what you may think um yeah just an incredible game and it is very much one of those not about the journey but the destination and i think that's that's just where i'll leave it with chrono trigger for now because i could just go on forever the, the journey is pretty good too like when when you can leave or cultivating the forest for example with robo yeah yeah it's one of the just few time very, paradoxes that they actually shove in your face. Yeah, and there, there's a couple of them that work really, really well. Just, just, to, just go play Chrono Trigger. Just, just go play Chrono Trigger. If, if you haven't find, find a way. But uh, yeah, that would be the next. It's on the one. Ouya. It's on the Ouya. <laughs> Always is. Um, but uh, what would be something else you'd want to try to do for the first time? So. I got a few here, but uh, one I'm going to bring up is A Link to the Past. You know what's funny? I was actually thinking, because I knew Breath of the Wild is uh, something that we could both agree on for the fact that, like, I want to say that everyone who has played it could almost say the whole, like, it'll never be as, like, they could still love it, but, like, not be as good as the first time they played it. Um, yeah. But I was We're, also... Uh, well, go, go ahead. I was going to say, like, yeah, Link to the Past, but I would actually more so for myself argue Ocarina of Time. Yeah, I mean, there's actually a lot of Zelda games from the uh, the retro era, as it's known now, that would be fantastic to play for the first time. Uh, I chose Link to the Past just because it's probably my favorite Zelda game still to this day. And when I first played it, I was young enough that I couldn't appreciate it. And I mean, I still can, but nowadays I already know, like it's ingrained in my memory where everything is. There's no sense of discovery anymore where I feel if I never played it back in the day and I was just getting into it now, I would absolutely love that factor of the world just because it is so tightly knit. Like it's it's a fair, for, for the Super Nintendo, uh, an action 
game like Zelda, it has a decent sized overworld. Two of them, technically. And there's just a lot to discover and a lot of secrets in it that I can't scrub from my memory and I'll never get the surprise of discovering it again. See, I think for myself, because uh, I actually like Link to the Past more than I like Ocarina of Time, but I feel it's a lot of fun to replay. Uh, it's kind of interesting to me to do things... Um, kind of differently how I would have when I was a kid because it definitely felt like a really big game when I was younger and now mm -hmm. it's neat that I can sit down with Link to the Past for I don't know like five hours or so still feel like I'm playing it casually but also be like I'm halfway through the temples in the dark world if, if you haven't beat it by then if you yeah um and it still feels kind of neat to stumble across, like, the secrets and whatnot, and just kind of walk into an area and be like, oh, yeah, that's right, there's something over here. Um, yeah. As where Ocarina of Time, because it went for a much more kind of grand and cinematic as much as you could for the N64, um, it feels slower. Yes. And not slower uh, than I'm in control of either. It is like, now I have to go to the Forest Temple. Now I have to go to... And it's not to say that because Link to the Past has that little bit of like freedom in the uh, later half. Because it is still a rather linear game. Um, but yeah, it just feels a lot more... You get into the Gerudo Valley and then you're stuck there because you can't escape for like an hour and a half. And it's one of those things that as you're coming up to it, you're just like, I don't want to do this, but I have to. So I think one issue with Ocarina of Time is just the age of it. It was one of the early 3D games that came out for Nintendo, right? Oh. Where now we've seen a lot better games, if you will. And a lot more fuller games. So one one thing, like, when I think of Ocarina of Time now, like, it's it's still a fine game. I still have a lot of nostalgia for it. I don't think it holds up. Did you ever beat and, Ocarina of Time? Oh, uh, 100%. I know back in the day I had a the the player's guide. We, we always got the player's guides for, like, half the games that we owned. Just as, like, birthday presents. Nice, cheap things to have and it's it's kind of memorabilia I'm, I'm kind of upset that i don't have any of those anymore but yeah i've i've done all the golds uh what are they called gold skeletons skulltula skulltulas spatulas um <laughs> and yeah i've i've explored that map quite a bit and yeah it is i think enough time has passed now that i don't really remember a whole lot about it that I could go back in and still like rediscover things because it's not nearly as ingrained in my head as A Link to the Past is but I think the reason that it feels a little slow is just because that was the standard at the time like that was incredible at the time where since then we've seen a lot uh, things done a lot better and I think that's it's 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 a discussion that we could have later on on a uh, future episode but just the whole idea that 2D games hold up a lot better than the early 3D stuff. But then that can be argued that you look at Atari and 
everything <laughs> is just rough. Yeah, I don't think much held up on the Atari very well. I'm sure someone no. could argue that with me, but I'm not about to actually agree with that argument. Uh, but then, then if you think about it, like the golden age of 2D games was also the early age of 3D games. Yep, yep. This so is true. I. Uh, I honestly think if they did a proper remake of Ocarina of Time and fill in that overworld and fill in those uh, empty spots and make it feel like an actual world, it would be absolutely stunning. Not just give it a coat of paint, but actually like the full launch. Yeah, not not like the, the 3DS version did compared to the N64, but like a full-on remake. I don't even care if you change the graphics or not, just... Make that world more full. Make it seem more alive. Make not, it feel like people aren't just there to cater to you. Not a not a Final Fantasy VII remake, but like a Resident Evil One remake. Yeah. Yeah. Touch it up. Make it feel more alive. Yeah. Because yeah. it it does feel really slow, and I think a lot of that is just because we've been so used to more modern days when everything feels more full. I'd also be scared. I wouldn't like it. This is also true. And, and and again, another topic for another day, but you could remake anything and people are going to bitch. Well, this is true. I just mean like if I were to play Ocarina of Time for the first time again. At, now, because this is one of the things we haven't really elaborated, but it's not like we're making rules for this. But like when we say for the first time, do we mean like as in like when it comes to the more nostalgic stuff, see it through our eyes now, because that, if we're going with that premise, yeah, Ocarina of Time, if I was just like, I've never played this before, I'd be like, hmm. Yeah, I don't know if I would enjoy it myself. But, uh, moving away from at least Ocarina of Time, because, oh, I mean, Zelda, we can go on about that for a while, I'm sure. (laughs) But, um, something for me, and this one kind of requires being spoilery about it, but it would be specifically Mega Man Zero Four. Okay. Yeah, and uh, the reason for that is because it's one of those one specific experiences I would like to have occur again, um, which would be the ending really caught me off guard. I mean that's 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 pretty fair. That, that's kind of what you want, right? It is, and of course, when you know what an ending is, it's never going to hit you like it did before. Um, So, did you make it through the entirety of at least the Mega Man Zero games on the collection? No, I finished at three. Okay. I finished three, and then I I went on to other games. All right, well, I think it's pretty safe to say what's going to occur at the end of a franchise, and we're well past the point that I have to worry about the plot being ruined for you. But, um... So the first time I ever played Mega Man Zero Four was entirely in Japanese. So, relatively up to date with the plot, but I'm here for the action, right? It's a Mega Man yep. game. But the plot is still, I mean, it's still there. It has some degree of importance, so I'm going to want to know it at some point. Um, why is X bad? <laughs> well, I knew what, why X was bad, because at least I had done 1 to 3 in English up to this point. Just playing okay. the fourth one before it actually got released via yearly okay means um and so i got to the end of the game 
and do the final boss fight. And it's a pretty epic boss fight, but I don't actually know the context of it. I'm just thinking, here we go again, Zero off to finish another adventure. And uh, I beat the final boss, and then a whole bunch of text that I'm not about to understand occurs, and like a bunch of explosions and whatnot, thinking, it's the other end of a game, Zero. Let's see what our next adventure involves. And then, just after the credits, it just shows his mangled helmet and corpse in the desert and it's just like <laughs> he's dead like actually dead um so yeah and the reason why we need to do that again for the first time is just because i'm never gonna not know he's dead again yeah <laughs> and didn't didn't the series start as they thought he was dead and they were able to repair him? Uh, it's a really weird kind of like unintentional timeline split where in the fifth Mega Man X game, I think, at the end of it, it's like Zero's like getting sealed away, kind of like they did with X initially. And then it was supposed to like, this is going to lead up into the Mega Man Zero series. But then they made Mega Man X6 and everyone got really confused. <laughs> so that's a hot mess for another day. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's next for yourself? For myself, uh, I'm actually going to do a couple, and it's for the same reasons as you, and that's going to be Amori and Mother 3. Okay. That's fair. Um, I'm not going to go into spoiler territories. <laughs> I'm not going to go into spoiler terries, territories as well, but I am going to say uh, Mother 3 for myself. I don't want to experience that again. That is too much. <laughs> oh, just wait till you play Omori. No. <laughs> so that that's that's one thing. I know you haven't played it, but I know you're willing to. Yep. Um, but you have played Mother 3, and with Mother 3... It's not so much because of the ending, but it's the journey and just kind of wackiness. Like, you're following the protagonist. And at the beginning, you're following all these different characters. And you're trying to figure out how this all lines up with one another. And just the the overall story and whatnot is it's just very... Of course, being a mother game is very quirky and whatnot. But just how hard it hits you. Like, there's very few games that can hit me that hard in the feels, if that makes sense. Yep. And Amori is under the same kind of principle. Where the ending I'm I'm even gonna say like the last third, if not half, of Amori is just this wacky trip that just you want to find out how to resolve this issue. And the more you learn, the more everything just starts to crumble and it really hits you on how bad this situation is and you want to fix it and maybe maybe that makes me a little bit on the darker side but at the same time it's just they're two very powerful feeling games and there's very few games that can actually inflict that kind of emotion on myself anyways and i i can do nothing but appreciate that but now that that's done and i've experienced them i'm not going to be able to experience it with them again I can still feel for the ending of Mother 3 and Amori, but I, that first time experiencing like that amount of overwhelmingness through a damn video game was just, 
it was so intense and so kind of meaningful. And here I am just thinking to myself, because you mentioned that, like, you know, maybe I just happen to prefer things a little on the darker side. And I'm thinking, I want to play Hatred for the first time again, so I can know what it's like to experience hatred. <laughs> uh, um, but, no, but I... Again, video game format. <laughs> yes, video game format. That's a game I did not play. In which, oh, boy. But um, <laughs> I can definitely see what you mean. It's definitely, like, at least for speaking from other three... Um, you know, and this can go with any media, movies, books, what have you. But if it's got a really strong emotional gut punch or through line that really resonates with you, that'll never come up naturally again, right? You're always going to know it's coming. So, though it would be the reason why you have such a strong attachment to it, it's never going to be a, a first-time experience again. Um, no, you're, you're never going to get that gut punch again. Oh, and you'll get it anyone, again. You just, not, not that anyone wants that gut punch, but I mean, no, no one wants that kind of impact, or no one's going to get that kind of impact if you know the impact before ages before it comes again. We can we can probably elaborate this on on this lightly, just because it happens at the very start. But I mean, you and I can both agree, like the uh, the Flint fireplace scene. Oh yes, you know that's. It's always going to be incredible when you watch it, especially because like it's beautifully animated and it's like so weighty. But at the same time, you're never going to have that first like, whoa, he actually went there kind of response again, right? You're just going to know that like you can actually just see it in a different perspective of like how tragically hit this man has been. Well, especially when you've been controlling that character for that whole section of game leading up to that point, and then you lose control of him. Well, he loses control of him, though. And you can feel yeah, but you, that. Yeah, but that, that, that think about it this way. You are controlling Flint until he no longer lets you because he's lost control. That? Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> that that just makes it so much worse, doesn't it? Oh, uh, that's going to be... Yeah, we're, we're definitely going to have to dedicate some time solely to that game. Um, yes. All right, I think uh, I think I've got one more here that I can fire off. Um, All right, and this is one that I know that you've dabbled into recently for the first time ever. Um, but uh, for me, it would be Legend of Mana. You know what? I was kind of thinking about putting that on my list. Interesting. Um, however, with that said, I kind of had my first playthrough happen again, per se. And what I mean by that is, like, I played it back when I was a kid on PlayStation. And I never I never beat it, but I really enjoyed it. I just couldn't figure out. I soft-locked the game or something. And I was really upset by that. But then when it got its port to the Switch, the... Would you call it... I guess it was a remaster, wasn't it? It's, like, really light on remaster, but, I mean, you know, they did touch some things up. They uh, changed some mechanics, so remaster works. So that was kind of my first start again, because you're, you're figuring that's, I'm going to say, over 20 years since being able to play it, haven't played it since the PS1, and then getting to play it on Switch, and I find out so much more, and then... Being a kid when I first played it, I didn't quite grasp everything that was going on. 
Yeah. So I, I kind of had my first playthrough. Not quite, because I still remember the f the first town and all that kind of stuff. Dominia? Domina or something? Hometown Domina, yep. So I still remember that, and your home, the the mana tree. Or, no, it wasn't the mana tree. Uh, whatever, your, your home, you put down with a mailbox. And that kind of stuff. But I, I didn't remember any of the storylines or anything. Hmm. So would you say that, like your secondary first experience pretty much made up for it then. Oh, 100%. I really, really enjoyed when I actually played through it. See, as where, in contrast to me, I have also been playing Legend of Mana since I was young, but, like, I went hard on it, and I figured out everything about this game. And so I still like playing it to this day, um... None of the... Because it's a really weird game. Um, oh, yeah. Like, so incredible. The entire game itself is pretty much just like, you don't have to do this, but you can if you're interested. Um, well, it's, it's, it's like very, very interesting and neat side missions. That's, it's pretty much as, side as quest story. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's not so much one overall arcing story, although there are... A couple of those but it's very much this is the world you live in do good well and you are the least important main character ever yeah there's no emphasis on you you're just someone trying to make a difference but it would just be really cool the uh I don't know, do you just think of the weird stuff that happens like the first time you ever see it? it's just like there's a creature that's just literally a fish in a basket with feet <laughs> um, or the first time you ever went up and talked to a Sproutling and it's just like, Sproutlings have no souls. And you're just like, okay. Um, Good for you. Yeah. Uh, the and we, we, we have it to thank for the bringing to life of Little Cactus. I love Little Cactus. Who doesn't? I just want to tell him how my day went. <laughs> but, uh. Yeah, I would say uh, that would be probably the last experience I would want. Well, I mean, there's many more, but we'll we'll keep it at that for myself for today. But how about you? You got one more to uh, close out on? Yeah, and uh, I'm going to kind of do three in one. Uh, mostly because they are kind of puzzle-based. But we got uh, Battle Block Theater by Behemoth, who I, I love their games. They're just fantastic. But with Battle Block Theater, as fun as it is, once you play it, you kind of know what you're doing. It makes replay value very, very minimal unless you're trying to collect everything. Um, the Sexy Brutale. It's a very Groundhog Day kind of puzzle game. you got to try and figure things out. Who, who's dying and why and how to stop it until you save everyone. Again, once you know what's going on and the overall uh, how to do things, you lose that ability. Two fantastic games that you're kind of destroyed on because you know what you're doing. And you won't unlearn that unless you... Well, I, I suppose if you didn't play it for a long-ass time, you'd technically be able to. But, I mean, I haven't played Sexy Brutale since... Well, it's got to be over five years. I still remember a good amount of things in there just because it was so well presented and uh, the last one I want to bring up is kind of a two-parter, but uh, Pony Island and the Hex. 
which are both made by the dev of Inscription. Games that I don't know the details of, but I know enough about that it's just like, you could describe it as a one-trick pony. Ha 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 ha. But yeah, it's it's going to scare you. <laughs> so like Pony Island is, you, you're essentially the devil's taking your soul and you're trapped inside this game about ponies and it is anything but a pony game. And it is an absolute, well, for lack of better terms, a absolute mindfuck. And the hex is still has that mind messing up, but it's uh, more about a murder mystery, and you got to go through different characters and experience their thing and how they came to this bar where you're trying to figure out who murdered who. And they all have their different play styles and whatnot, and all have an overall story. But once you find out about who murdered and who it is you're looking for, it's kind of game over. You you know how it ends, so you won't get as much enjoyment trying to figure out what is actually happening. And yeah, kind of one trick pony with uh with these games, it's pun kinda, intended. It's kind of like how it's kind of hard to play it when you already know that it occurs, but uh. How everyone's talked about how um, in Doki Doki Panic, how you know you're actually just a reskinned Mario game. Uh, yeah. By which I mean Doki Doki Literature Club, and how it's just a, a pure, pure <laughs> nightmare. I was say, wait, wait, where are you going with this? Uh, apparently, the direction where I need to, I just had to stumble on the way. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's the kind of game that you just benefit from going in absolutely blind, right? And as cool as it was to experience, you're, you've already seen the kind of the rugs already been pulled. And now you're just standing on the floor. Yeah. So. And that's one thing I've noticed about myself is the games I really, really, really get into and really enjoy are those style of games where once you know the ending, it kind of falls flat on replay value, which is upsetting. And granted, like. Games like Amori, I've done four play, uh, three playthroughs, so I can get the the neutral, good, and bad endings, which they have enough difference in them, so it, it makes it worthwhile. But a lot of the main areas are still being repeated, and but at least they end differently. But games like Pony Island or Sexy Brutal or Battle Block Theater, I already know what I need to know. I think. Uh... A similar case for me were one of those games where the narrative or the twist is pretty much the one reason that like almost discourage replaying just because again it's kind of been spoiled already would be um 13 sentinels uh that is a game that is very much narrative driven and uh as cool as it is you know, you never go, unless you like go to it a long time later and forget the plot. Like it's always going to be, and that is a game that is heavily dependent on its wild twists and turns. Mm-hmm. But, so uh, if if you kind of know where it leads up to, that trying to figure it out in your head effect isn't there. No, it's not going to have that compelling drive. But uh, I think. I gonna I I can't talk about Thirteen Sentinels more because it's a game that you can't know about. Right, and I still got to play it. Yes, yes. But uh, so, yeah, yeah. I, no, it's it's 
Any other thing that you want to bring up? Any other games that you can think of last minute that weren't on your list? Oh, yes, and that's the dilemma. Pick one. Pick one? Um, You know what? I think what I'll do is I will tease another potential subject down the road. Because while I was making my list, uh, a lot of things had crossed my mind. And uh, a genre that is very much... uh, one that I know we're both fond of, and it's like Metroidvania, so I was thinking, you know, like Hollow Knight, Metroid Dread, all that stuff. Those were all incredible experiences, but I kind of think they're better experiences when you replay them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I would agree. Like, my first time in Hollow Knight, where I really enjoyed it, I actually quite enjoyed a second playthrough, because I got way more into it. I don't know, something about that formula, it's a lot better, like, feeling more flowy than Discovery. And the Discovery is one of the greatest things about playing it for the first time, but it's a lot more fun to come back and feel like you've mastered it. And I think part of that is just because you know the how powerful you can get versus how you start off at. So it's all about gaining that power back. Not to mention... Versus, and, and I mean, Metro, uh, a lot of Metro games are like this, right? Where they start you off with the power-ups and then you lose them. Well, and not to mention, too, there's always the uh, incredible joy of sequence breaking. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, but uh, that that's where I'm going to leave that. How about how about you? Any kind of like rapid-fire thoughts? Not so much, aside from like a couple story games or experiences which regardless if i play it for the first time i'm not gonna exp- i'm not gonna get the proper effect of it uh games like half-life Ooh, good that, that was a game i played back in the in the day but even if i played it for the first time now i don't think it would have nearly as big an impact kind of similar to ocarina of time yeah yeah that's if actually kind of first time now i wouldn't have as big impact on me as it did back in the day. It's kind of how I feel about Ocarina of Time, where it's like, you know, you you know the motions you're going to go through, right? Yeah. So, I'm going to have to do this thing to get to there and whatnot, and this pipe's going to knock over, and I'm going to struggle with the janky platforming for a bit. It's a Zelda game. Collect eight. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Um, well... You want to do the honors of uh, struggling to close us out again? <laughs> sure, because I think I'm uh, I've I've exhausted my list and my thoughts and my my ideas for this. So with that said, I've been Josh. The other guy's been Tyler because yep. he doesn't like introducing himself. Nope. And this has been the Optional Boss Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the episode, and we will see you next time. Bye. <laughs> Bye.